Let's invite our speaker for this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are a real God, a speaking God, and you have created us in such a way that you understand us, and you understand how we learn and what stops us from listening, what, what distracts us, what fills us with either inhibition or cockiness, Lord. You know exactly where we stand. I ask you, Jesus, in the name of Christ, I ask you, O Father, that every single person here would go home with something to chew on, something to change their lives with, something that would benefit them from your word. I ask you with confidence, I ask you with faith, because that's something you love to do. You love your people. You're a father. You always have something to say to your children. There isn't anyone that you don't have something to say to. So Lord, speak to us. We're listening. Take away the distractions. Take away the tiredness. Take away the boredom. Allow us to center down and focus in. In Jesus' master's name I pray. Amen. I got bad news for you. God's children are not exempt from trouble. How about that? Huh? Start the morning with some bad news. God's children are not exempt from trouble. There are people who think they're God's children and therefore... Nothing should ever come their way. Nothing should ever come against them. God should, even the blessings you have, in fact, even the blessings you have, you pray for a wife, you pray for a house, you pray for a new job, you pray for a, uh, a car, you pray for, even the blessings you have, trouble comes with it. There is no, no, nothing, there's no such thing that is so good that you're going to enjoy your life that's not going to bring some trouble with it. Are you with me? Is everybody with me? Yeah, even the blessings come with a little bit of side effects, some bumps and scrapes along the way. There is nothing that you cannot face uh, that, that doesn't have some trouble. And marriage has issues, family, children, new jobs, old bosses, little money, too much money. Everything comes with a little. Jesus said, Jesus said, in this world, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's not a new thing. So when you and I get all surprised when something happens or comes our way, when we look panicked or we look surprised, like, how did that happen? Why did that happen to me? What's going on? This is not supposed to... When we get into that mode, James, in this book called James, one of the few books that are named after the author itself, is talking to us saying, don't be. Don't be surprised. Don't be freaked out about the fact that in a world where Jesus said you will have trouble, you have trouble. What you need to work on is not the trouble, but the perspective on the trouble. The perspective on the trouble. It's a faith that gives you a perspective, an ability to consistently and confidently, consistently and confidently, consistently and confidently face problems in the same way. Face problems in the same way. Listen to me. How a believer that is a follower of Christ, someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, how a believer handles the uncooperative life, you know, the life that doesn't cooperate with you, how the believer handles the bad day that comes your way, the difficult people, anybody know any difficult people? Don't point at them. <laughs> the uncertain future, the limited resources, that's basically no money, the opposition, the competition. All of these, how a, listen to me, how a person handles all of this from the uncooperative life to the competition, all assert whether 
his or her faith is genuine or imitation. Let me do this again. For all of this that happens in life, all of the things that go right and wrong and then wrong again, the way you handle it demonstrates whether your faith is what? Genuine or imitation. Genuine or imitation. Genuine or fake. And do people have fake faith? Yep. Do people have genuine faith? Yep. And James is saying, I want your faith to be genuine. I've entitled the series called James the Brother. Because you know who James is? James is the first half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus was born of an immaculate conception, so Mary uh, brings him into, into the world, and then Joseph and Mary have a bunch of kids, and these guys actually grow up with Jesus. You know what it's like to be grow up with Jesus? Like six years old, you know. <laughs> you know, ten years old, fight over something. You know, he, he, they, he actually saw Christianity on two feet. He actually saw the authentic normal Christian life. There was only one normal Christian life, and that was Jesus. Everybody else is trying to make it. Everybody else is trying to be. But that's the one. And James looking at Jesus, this is very interesting. James watching Jesus from the, from the early years all the way, and he didn't even believe in the beginning, he believed later. From the, all the way from the beginning, all the way to the end, where he pledged his life to the church in Jerusalem and became one of the leaders, the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. He doesn't even touch theology in the book of James. All it is from verse 1 to the very last verse of James is practical, practical, do it right, practical, be wise, be wise, practical, do it right. Because the Christian life is not about philosophizing about what God is beyond the clouds. The Christian life is walk it. Walk your talk. Walk your talk. Be your sermon. Walk your talk. So James is all about that. It's literally like Proverbs but in the New Testament. What's it like? Proverbs but in the New Testament. Proverbs but with the power of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Okay. So faith is what he says gives you that ability. Faith is what needs to be genuine. He's so, you know, he, he talks about faith so much in this book in terms of the thing behind what you do. It's like, a, it's like an instrument you have. There's an instrument in the, used in an aeroplane. It's used in other places as well. But it's called the gyro. And this thing is incredibly fascinating instrument engineered to respond to gravity to let you know whether you are horizontal to the earth's surface right it's a it's called a gyro it's placed in a plane so that in a fighter plane where you're ducking life get the get the illustration where you're ducking life and you're fighting life's problems coming your way, people shooting at you, different things happening, and you're going all over the place. That fighter plane is going all over, and he doesn't know when he's upside down, and you, you know, when the sky is down there and the earth is up there. He doesn't know. And the only thing he has to be able to keep the correct perspective, the earth below and the sky above, is his gyro. You know, when he's vertical to the earth, it's called gyro drift. When he goes upside down, it's called gyro topple. And he depends on this one instrument. Yeah, hopefully, you know, Indigo and Jet Airways and all the others, they don't, they don't do so much of, the, of that. Otherwise, our coffee will 
go flying in some other direction. But you get the idea. Your faith is your gyro. Your faith is your gyro. Faith will keep you earth horizontal. It will give you balance and perspective. This is why, listen, this is why your faith needs to be tested. Your faith needs to be tested. But testing rattles us. Exam or exam, exam or exam or exam. Testing rattles us. Whenever you think of life's situations and life's events as a test, it kind of rattles us. Because for us, test means pass or fail. Test means pass or fail. But the testing of faith is something that does, it does for the faith. The testing of faith changes the structure. The, the, the more it morphs faith into something stronger, something different. And if you knew the advantages of what your faith will be at the end of that valley experience, you will approach the valley experience differently. Are you with me? If you knew that it was going to be good for you, you will attempt it differently. When I ask you to lift a very heavy weight, or lift a big you know, table, or lift everything, uh, you, you're going to panic, you're going to not be okay with that, you're going to struggle, you're going to whinge and whine. But when you walk into a gym, you don't go looking for a jacuzzi. You don't go looking for a hammock and order a pina colada. You don't do that. You expect pain. You expect to be pushed. You expect trouble. You expect everything to work in opposition to you because you know it's going to be good for you. So your whole approach to walking into a gym is different. And that is what James is talking about. He says, how you see the troubles that are coming your way, how you see the various issues that are coming your way is more important than the issues themselves, the troubles themselves, the problems themselves. Testing rattles us. We get so shaken up, we doubt ourselves, we doubt God, we doubt the very goodness of humanity. And each time, each time we're met with a trial, we respond in a different way. Except the one confident way, which is the way of faith. Every single time, with every new trouble, we think, oh my goodness, this is it. Oh my goodness, this is it. This is over. Today, I want you to see the advantage of meeting each trial head-on with the familiar, consistent confidence. A familiar, consistent confidence every single time. Like a wrestler that gets into the ring. He knows he's going for the same fight, but it's a different opponent. See, your troubles will be different, but your approach is always the same. The, the opponent, the challenger is different. But the fight is always saying, you come. Come, come, come. I am going to, yeah, I am going to, yeah, I am going. It's always the same. Consistent, confident. Consistent, confident. A little bit of background. For those of you who are new, new to the faith, new to the Bible, new to church, new to me. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with Christ, watched the most authentic Life, he throws punch after punch of proverb type wisdom mixed with the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the life of Christ in the most practical, authentic way. He begins with one of the most important things, and that is how to face 
hard times, how to face difficult times, the mindset with which we should do it. Allow me to read a short passage of scripture as we get this started. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So who's he writing to? He's writing to the other Jews that have gone all over the place, the 12 tribes, but those who are believers and followers of Christ. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, circle various, various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect word that you may be perfect and complete lacking how much nothing if any of you lacks what wisdom let him ask of God who gives it to all liberally and without reproach it will be given to him but let him ask in faith not doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed and by the wind for let no man no such man think he will receive anything from the Lord he's a double-minded man unstable in all his ways write this down write this down I must I must count all trials as joy look at verse 2 Count it all joy, my brothers, when you circle meet. When you circle meet. When you meet trials, circle various kinds. Your opposition, your challenger is going to be different every single time. But the fight's the same. The process is the same. So you rethink the way you see hardships. Look at me. You rethink the way you see hardships. And you count it, you affirm it as a joy. Every time something strong comes your way, an opportunity to grow your faith comes your way, you see it as a joy. Why should it give you joy? Because joy is what comes from knowing everything's going to be great on the inside. It's deep on the inside. Joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Joy is a focus before it is a feeling joy is a decision before it is a feeling you decide that something is going to be good for you <laughs> you look at a problem and say you're going to be good for me come on down come on let's do this <laughs> even the trouble itself walking your way will get a little shaken up maybe they'll walk away you never know your attitude is everything and God wants you to have an attitude with not faith in yourself, but faith in him. Count it all joy. That's a decision you must make. Write it down. Number two, I must know that tested faith produces endurance. I must know that tested faith produces endurance. I want you to circle the word no and circle the word endurance. Circle the word no and circle the word endurance. Verse 3 says this, for you know, there it is, that the testing of your faith, okay, so when your faith gets tested, something happens to your faith, something is produced, something is radiated out of your faith, something is a byproduct of your faith getting tested, namely, endurance. Another word, perseverance. Another word, steadfastness, if you're into the old King James. Steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. Some Bibles, some very late uh, recent translations use the word patience. I don't like that. Patience is like, you know. Uh, endurance. Endurance is what we're talking about. He says, firstly, you know. The word in the, in, in the original Greek is the word ginosko, which means you know from experience. You know from experience. You know, you're not talking about a memo that came your way and now you have the information. Thank you very much. You know, see, I told you, you know. No, no, no. You're saying, I've been to Chandigarh. I ate the food. 
I drove that, I rode that train. I know. Okay? When you, when you have been there, and you've done that, and you say, I know, that's what James is talking about. He says, you know. Because you're a classic veteran in dealing with trouble. You've had trouble from the day you were born. You know. You're familiar with trouble. What you're not familiar with is how to whack it out your life. How to, how, how to you know, how to ride over it. How to ride that wave. But you know trouble. So James is saying, you know. You know that what testing does to your faith is it gives you endurance. Look at the word endurance. Or perseverance. Or steadfastness. This is an elasticity that doesn't snap. This is an elasticity that doesn't snap. This is a, it's a stamina that doesn't give up mid-course. It's a stamina that doesn't give up mid-course. This faith is a durability. This perseverance, this, this endurance is a durability that endures the beating and comes back for more. You see, my friends, faith when tested is not graded. Faith is not tested for grading. Pass, fail. Pass, fail. Faith is tested for guarding against failure. For guarding against failure. Because it produces endurance. Failure from what? Failure to make it to the end. Failure to make it to the end. Let me explain. When you first got started with your faith, in your faith journey, you faced problems, you faced trials, and you tried to be faithful, you tried to trust God, you tried to pray, your faith lasted a little while, the problem lasted longer, and you didn't last out. Got it? Got it? You gave in. You gave in. You grumbled, you gave in, you walked away, you did what you have to do. The next problem that came along, you lasted a little longer (laughs) because it's been through a bit of a grind. And your faith has now experience some elasticity. Now it's able to take a little bit more beating, stamina. Now, and then the next time you come through a problem, you go through it, and this time you find, you find that your faith has taken a beating, taken a beating, been tested, been graded to guard you against failure from giving up, and you find your faith taking you all the way to the end. And you make it through the problem and out and a stronger man. Now you have a testimony. First two times, you <laughs> didn't have a testimony. Nobody hears that story. No, 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 don't tell what. I don't know. Don't want anybody to know that I bombed it. But that's okay. Because that's what's happening to your faith. Your faith is becoming durable. Are you getting this? Your faith is becoming elastic. Are you getting this? Your faith is becoming capable of handling it till the end so that you don't give up. Oh, I love what God is doing for you and for your faith. Now, why on earth do I need endurance? I don't like that. I don't, it's like being prepped for an operation. It's going to be very painful. It's going to take long. And this could happen and this could happen. There could be side effects. You may forget your wife. So, you know, it's like, I mean, you, you were like, what's, what's going to happen? What's going on? Why, why are you giving me this? What's going to happen? Like, yeah. So, the real question you want to ask is, why? Why do I need endurance? Why do I need to take a beating and be able to bounce back? Who's going to beat me? Write it down. I need endurance for God to do what? To complete 
His work in me. He's doing something. And that's going to need you to be durable, elastic, and capable. Don't pull the cake out of the oven too early. Don't pull the cake out of the oven. What happens when you pull the cake out of the oven too early? Hmm? When you take the chapati off the stove too, much, too early, what happens? After too hard in it. When you take the cake out of the oven, even if you just open it, I learned, that it just falls flat, like most of my ideas. Don't laugh. So mean. You wrote it down? I need endurance for what? For God to complete his work in me. Look at verse 4. And let steadfastness or perseverance or endurance have its what? Say it. Full effect. Let it finish. Don't open the oven. Don't take it out the stove too early. Let it have its full effect that you may be what? Perfect, which means complete. Perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. This is what God wants. Let me tell you three things that God is doing for which you need endurance. For which you need to be able to take a beating and come back for more. For which you need elasticity. Three things God is doing. Number one, God is forming you more and more into the image of his son. God is forming me into the image of his son. Now whatever is happening in my life, God is going to use it to make me more like Jesus. No, but I want to be more like Jeremy. For, for those of you, that's me. I want to be more like Jeremy. I want to be the best Jeremy possible. No, no, I want Jeremy to die. And I want Jesus to live through Jeremy. So give me a body and let Jesus live through Jeremy. I want Jeremy to die. Why? Why, Why do you want to? Well, because Jeremy will be perfect and will be, will, be, uh, will be perfect and will be like Jesus at the end for eternity and eternity. And we like that Jeremy more. We like that Jeremy more than just Jeremy. So now give us Jesus for 70 years. And then when you go to heaven, you will have perfect Jeremy, which is, which is just great. Right? So that's God's plan. So his whole life, my whole life, God wants me to become more and more like Jesus. Now it's not an outward becoming like Jesus, but an inward becoming like Jesus. And it's not just becoming nice. It's actually becoming the character of God. Actually taking on the character of Christ, which means I need to take a beating. I need to take a beating. What's going to take a beating? Not my body, but my spirit, my ego, myself, my ambitions, my plans, my ideas, my self-worth. That's going to take a beating. And if I know that this beating is okay, it's going to result in me making it through, then I'm going to face this. So the first thing God is doing in you is to make you more like Christ. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful uh, Father, this is the second thing I'm telling you that he's doing in you. The source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we may comfort others. Look at that, please. All praise. He comforts us. Look at verse 4. Say it with me. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we may comfort others. Can we do that one more time? He comforts us in all our troubles to do what? So that we may comfort others. Go back one slide, please. God is trusting you with pain and suffering. God is trusting you with pain and suffering. Why? To show his comfort and his strength through your life to others so that the hurting, the lost, the sick, the forgotten would return to him and find the shepherd of their souls. Are you with me? You may be with me, but you may not have got me. Let me say this one more time. 
God trusts you. He trusts you to handle pain and suffering without losing your faith. So that as you trust him, he gives you comfort. And that comfort flows to you and through you to other people. Because if you comfort somebody who's lost a loved one, but you've never lost a loved one, your comfort is a little... Are you with me? Have you been through that? No. Then what are you talking about? You don't know. You don't know. Are you with me? That's what he's saying. James is saying God is, te- is trusting you to go through a situation so that you can train for what it's like to comfort other people who go through the same situation. But are you willing for it? Are you willing for it? The only reason you'd be willing to let your faith take that kind of a beating is if you know something's good going to come out of this. Something good is going to come out of this. God is going to turn my mess into a message, my test into a testimony. God is going to use me. Only if you trust that will you know and will you have the right perspective. For the, for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with the comfort through Christ. Look at that. Look at it. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will do what? That's benevolent. Shower us with the comfort through Christ. God wants you to be the first recipient of his comfort before he comforts those who don't even trust in him. (laughs) God wants you to be the first recipient of his comfort. He wants you to be the experts in the ones who know how God comforts. Because you've been there. Why should I go through all these problems? What is God doing to me? Why is God allowing me his life? He trusts you. I wouldn't. But he trusts you. God is trusting you with pain. What, is, what else is God doing that needs your faith to take a beating and come back for more? That needs your faith to hang in there. The third thing he's doing is he's pruning you. He's pruning you. Number three says that God is a vine dresser. Jesus says in John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine and the father is a what? Vine dresser. That means he's the gardener that's pruning through the fruit of the vine to do this. You have the vine. The branches and you have the fruit. The more extra faltu faltu branches you have, it's just going to take the life and all the juices and all the, the, the nutrients. But we want everything flowing to the branch that's willing to bear fruit. We want to flow to the branch that's healthy and connected well to the vine, not the one that's drying up. Just show up and just dry up. We want to give you the... So the gardener cuts out those so that you, the faithful one, Connected to the vine gets all the juice you need to bear the fruit you need. So that pruning happens in your life so that more fruit comes through your life. What's the pruning? It's going to hurt. The pruning is going to hurt. Any kind of pruning hurts. Yeah? He may prune a relationship. That's taking too much away. It's not allowing you to be your best. It's not allowing you to allowing me to use you. You don't have time for me and for my ministry because you have that endless, stupid, inconsistent relationship that's taking your attention. Or you've got this other ambition. Or you've got this other obsession. Or you've got this other debt. God will take away these, these, these things in your life, these people in your life. And you'll be like, why did he take away? I just was my best friend. The only thing that ever cared for me. No, they're not the only thing that ever cared for you. They're the worst thing that ever cared for you. And God will take that out and it's going to hurt. And that pain, that suffering, you need to 
Welcome it with joy because it's going to make you more fruitful. That's why he doesn't say, do you feel it? He says, do you know it? Do you know it? So because God is doing these things, you need to take on trouble, different as they may be, with the same consistent confidence. But you know, sometimes it's not just about how. How? How do I face the troubles in my life? How do I face the difficulties in my life? Sometimes the question is, why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening in my life? This is not fair. This is not in the script. This was not supposed, how it's supposed to be. This is not how God works. Why, why, why are other people's sins or other people's wickedness or other people's failings and falterings affecting my joy? Well, sometimes the question is not how, but why? And for that, you need wisdom. For that, you need wisdom. Number five, write it down. I can ask God for wisdom if I'm lacking perspective. Look at verse 5. Read it with me if you can. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives little bit to all without reproach and it may be given him. Yes, no, hallelujah. No, praise God. How does God give? Generously. How does God give? Surely, it will be given him. It, it will be given him. The one thing you can ask God, listen to me. One thing you can ask God for and you can be sure he'll give it to you is wisdom. For two reasons. Number one, he is the all-wise God. Number one, he is the omniscient God. Number two, he knows you need it. He knows you need it. And the moment you ask for it, he's like, they figured it out. They figured that's what they need. And they ask, God will give generously. Are you a recipient of generous wisdom? Does your life look like it? Does your life look like it? Do your words look like it? Do your relationships look like you have been the recipient of generous wisdom that God has given to you? Maybe you haven't asked. Maybe you haven't asked. Maybe you have asked, but God hasn't given. Why? Number six or number five. I must learn to ask with confidence. Write it down. I must learn to ask with confidence. And you have three verses on this one thing. Okay? I want to land on this one. You have three verses on this one thing. Look at what he says. But let him, who's him? The guy who's asking. Let him ask in faith and not doubting. So where there's a promise, there is a premise. Where's a promise, there is a premise. He says, let him ask in faith, not doubting. And then he proceeds to explain this fellow, this one who doubts. Why does he take two verses to picturize, to, 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 to illustrate the guy who doubts? Why does he do so much effort on this one guy? Let's break it down. Break, break it down. Verse six. And let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like this. The one who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. You've been to Goa? Do you remember one particular wave? You know, don't remember the one particular? The eighth one, no? Yeah, you won't! Because it just keeps coming and just keeps coming and you've forgotten the previous one and you're waiting for the next one. You're expecting waves. And waves are just, as the wind comes, the waves come. As the wind comes, they're tossed by the wind. That's how fickle a fellow is who asks but doubts. 
And James is saying, and James is a hard guy. He's, he's like, you know, give, send him a memo, send him an email, tell him not to bother. This is basically what he's saying. If you don't believe me, it's read the Bible. Basically what he's saying is, tell him not to bother. He's not going to get any answers. He's not going to get anything from God. He will not, you don't believe me here. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7. For that person must not circle suppose. <laughs> he shouldn't get a false idea that God's going to answer this thing. For he will receive, that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because two things. He's double-minded. And because of that, he's unstable in all of his ways. He's double-minded and he's unstable <coughs> in all of his ways. What does it mean to be double-minded? To have two minds. <clears throat> this guy can't make up his mind. He can't even ask something whether he wants blue or red because he... has two minds. He's constantly in two minds. He can't make up his mind about the girl, about the job, about the footpath or the road, right or left. Should I, shouldn't I? Dive in, dive out. He, he, he's always in two minds. He cannot make up his mind. That kind of guy's prayer life is disastrous. Lord, please, Lord, if you will, if you don't, it's, if it's okay, I really would like, but if you don't want, if you, I thank you so much, but if it's so... Even the angels are like, okay, are you done? Are you done? Seriously, are you done? Do you not know what God has for you? James is saying, don't bother. Tell that guy not to bother to expect anything. Nothing's going to happen. Number one, because he's got two minds. He's not got one mind. You seeing the problem here? Different problems, different various trials, but one mind, one faith, one confidence, one consistency. He's talking about perspective. And this guy, number two, is unstable in all his ways. He's unstable in all his ways. Everything he does, he's not able to get it right because he can't make up his mind. He can't make up his mind. He's always leaving it to everybody else to decide for his life. Everyone else is ruining or, or ruling his life. Everyone else's opinions and things matter. Everyone push him to the left, push him to the right. He's always the, res the result of everybody in his life, his family. Tell that guy not to bother. And he's taking an example of a guy like that and a prayer life like that because he wants you to understand this. Go back to verse 2. Not verse 1, but verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face, say it, various, various kind of troubles. So if you're going to go into the ring, you'll have different opponents. But it's one punch. It's that one punch you're working for. It's that one attitude you're working for. And you need to be single-minded. You need to make up your mind. You need to make up your mind. And that's the title of today's sermon. You need to make up your mind. Let me give you four things you could do to be practical, to make a decision, to make a commitment right here, right now, right today. This is the day you made up your mind about these things. Number one, make up your mind about what attitude you're going to have towards the problems that are coming tomorrow. Today is 25th of August, but 25th of September, a set of problems are going to come your way. Don't decide on the 25th of September what your attitude is going to be. Decide now. Focus, focus, focus. Joy is a focus, not a feeling. Joy is a focus before it is a feeling. Got it? Make up your mind what attitude towards trials you're going to have. Number two, make sure I know God's purpose for the trial. Make sure you know God's purpose for the trial. Lord, why are you allowing this in my life? 
Okay, you don't know why? Ask. Ask. Ask God. That means your whole life conversation with God is about your life. It's about what's going on. Lord, give me some perspective here. I don't have the perspective. I don't have the top down from the heaven down perspective. Talk to me. What is it? Number three, make peace with God's plan for suffering and pain in your life. Make peace with God's plan for suffering and pain in your life. In this world, you will have troubles and tribulations. Any preacher who tells you your life should be without troubles is going against Jesus. He's disagreeing with Jesus. Jesus said you will have. And James, his brother, is saying, gird your mind. Gird your mind. Make peace with God's plan for suffering and, and, and have a militant attitude towards it. Now, number four. Number four is an easy one. Make your request with absolute certainty. Make your request with absolute certainty. God, I know you want to give me wisdom. God, I know that you are at work in my life. God, I know, circle no. God, I know that you have loved me with an everlasting love. Now, God, I ask you, in the name of Jesus, first give me perspective. And number two, make me stronger through this process. Don't let me turn against you. Don't let me let it out on my wife and children. Don't let me be a fool outside. Don't let me shame your name or dishonor your testimony. Lord, let me walk through this problem like a champion. Give me the strength. Make my faith elastic. Make my faith durable. I hand my faith to you. Give it. Austin kept using the word surrender. We surrender to you. We surrender to you. It's easy to say the word surrender, but this is what it means. This is what it means. My brothers, my sisters, my friends, this morning, you are here, handpicked by God to listen to this message. That's why you are here. God's, obviously God loves you a lot. And, he, and he's got something on his heart for you. So take a moment, please. I'm going to play.